the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, are among the most beloved words in the Bible. There's something about those words that is immediately comforting. Just to hear them can bring peace to our hearts. That one line may more powerfully communicate the goodness of the Lord than any other line in the Bible. To say, the Lord is my shepherd, does not strike fear into our hearts, does not increase our anxiety, because we know that the Lord is good. And since the Lord is good, if the Lord is our shepherd, we know that will be good for us. That's why David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is, I shall not be in need. The image of a shepherd is used all across the Bible. Uh, Not only is it used for the Lord, but it is also used to describe leaders of God's people. David, for example, was not only a literal shepherd when he was a boy, before he became king, but he was also set apart as king to shepherd the nation of Israel. So in 2 Samuel 5, it says, In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you, David, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. We also hear this language in one of the prophecies of Jesus' birth, though we may not have noticed it. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, where it's quoting from Micah chapter 5, it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it does not surprise us that when Jesus speaks about himself, he takes up this image of a shepherd to help us understand who he is and what he came to do. But with those words also come a warning, because not everyone who's interested in the sheep is a good shepherd. So let's look together this morning at the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 21. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Jesus uses here what John calls a figure of speech in verse 6. As he talks about himself in terms of sheep and shepherd. And uh, talks about those who are thieves and robbers. And he warns the people who are listening to him. That not everyone who tries to lead the sheep is a shepherd. Not everyone who tries to lead the sheep is a shepherd. The first thing he says in verse 1 is that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So there are plenty of people that are interested in the sheep. But not all of them are interested for the sheep's good. Some of them are interested in taking advantage of the sheep, in profiting from the sheep. So how do we recognize the difference between the shepherd and the one who would seek to steal the sheep? What, what characterizes the shepherd? Well, first of all, verse 2, he says the shepherd enters by the door. He, he comes in the right way. He has legitimacy. Right? The gatekeeper, he says, opens to him. In other words, he's left his sheep with a temporary guardian, right? And there's a a gatekeeper watching over the sheep in the pen. And when the shepherd comes to take his sheep back out again, the gatekeeper recognizes the shepherd. He knows these sheep belong to him. And so he lets the shepherd take the sheep back out. He has legitimacy. He has authority. But the one who's not the shepherd and yet still wants the sheep, he has to try to come in another way. He has to be sneaky and crafty because the gatekeeper doesn't recognize him. He knows the sheep don't belong to him. The true shepherd enters by the door. It also says in verse 3 that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep recognize him. His sheep know him. They don't know strangers. 
Right? He says, verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the true shepherd leads the sheep, knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. The true shepherd, the sheep belong to him, and the gatekeeper knows it. Those who don't enter by the door, those who try to come at the sheep by another way, are not true shepherds. Now when Jesus says this, John tells us that the people listening to him didn't understand what he was saying. It wasn't that they didn't get the picture, because they understand sheep probably better than most of us. But they didn't understand who he was referring to. They didn't understand what he was applying this image to, or who he was applying this image to. So he changes it up a little bit and makes it a little bit clearer, starting in verse 7. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So now Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. And he says, verse 11, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Now, who are the thieves and robbers who came before Jesus? Probably, he's referring to other people who came and claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the promised one. Jesus was not the first person to show up and claim to be the Messiah. He was just the real one. But there were other people who claimed to be the one that God had promised, claimed to be the one that God had sent, Right, sought to lead the people and to take that mantle of the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer upon themselves. And Jesus says, everyone who's come before me like that, they were not true shepherds. They were thieves and they were robbers. And that's why the sheep didn't listen to them. Because they weren't the true shepherd. He says in verse 10, the thief now comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now here's something interesting about that verse. If you just heard that verse all by itself, who pops into your mind when you hear, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy? Satan, right? But Jesus is not talking about Satan here. Now those things are true of Satan, but that's not who he's referring to. Here he's referring to those people who have sought to lead the sheep, even though they are not the true shepherd. Those who steal and kill and destroy are those who don't come in by the door, who are thieves and robbers, who are interested in the sheep so that they can profit from the sheep. That's who he's talking about. Because those who seek to steal the sheep, what do they want the sheep for? For themselves. Right? They steal them so that they can kill them. Right? So that they can eat them, even. Right? They profit from them. They want the sheep for them. They don't come for the sheep because they care about the sheep. Jesus says, in contrast to the thieves, in the middle of verse 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm not here to kill the sheep. I'm here to make sure the sheep prosper. That they have life, abundant life. I'm here to care for them, to make sure they're healthy 
and at peace, at rest. These others come only to steal and kill and destroy. Which is very similar to what we heard Ezekiel say earlier in Ezekiel 34. Remember Ezekiel said, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. That's what these false shepherds, these thieves and robbers were doing. They were coming to take from the sheep rather than to give to the sheep. Not so Jesus. Jesus says, I came to give to the sheep. I came for the good of the sheep. I came to give life life to the sheep. Abundant life. How does he do that? Look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus, of course, is there speaking about his crucifixion. That he is literally going to lay down his life for the good of his sheep. Lay down his life so that they can have life, so that you and I can have life. The others are not like that. Those others who sought to lead God's people and even those who seek, uh, many of those who seek to do so today, that's not their goal. Their goal is to see what they can get from the sheep. Jesus comes to give to the sheep. And not only are there those who are thieves and robbers who seek to steal and kill and destroy the sheep for their own benefit, there are also those who Jesus describes as hired hands in verse 12. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So there are some who will care for the sheep a little bit, for a while, for pay, but they're not actually interested in the sheep themselves. They're also interested in what they can get out of the sheep. Whether that's money or a meal or whatever arrangement they've made to care for the sheep for a time. They'll do that. But they are definitely not putting their life on the line for the sheep. They're they're just there for a paycheck. And with the wolf coming at them, they value their life a lot more than they value those sheep. So they're getting out of there. And the wolf can have whatever they want. They flee. Jesus again says, not me. Not me. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus says, again, back in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is no mere hired hand. He didn't come just to try to accumulate a following, to try to get a big crowd of people so that he would be popular and important and have power. That is not at all what he was interested in. 
Jesus came because he loves the sheep. And when a wolf seeks to attack his sheep, what Jesus does is not run and leave the sheep to fend for themselves. Jesus puts himself between the sheep and the wolf. He puts his own life on the line in order to save his sheep. That's what he's doing on the cross. On the cross, he is putting himself between us and the judgment that our sins deserve. And he's taking it for us. He's putting himself between us and our enemy, Satan. Colossians 2 says that Jesus triumphed over Satan and his minions through his death on the cross. He has victory over them. Jesus himself is going to say later in John 12 as he's going to the cross, now is the ruler of this world cast out. Now is, in other words, when he is conquering Satan by his death. Jesus does that for us, for his sheep, for all who will believe in him, all who will trust in him. He's saying, I came for the right reason. I came for you. I came because I care about you. And if you will listen to me and you will trust me and you will follow me and not these others, I will give you what they cannot give. I will give you life. Abundant life. I'm the door. Remember he said earlier. And if you come through me, you get to come in and out and find pasture. If you come to me, in other words, then you will be able to say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus is that shepherd. That's what he's claiming. So trust Him. But also heed His warning. Watch out for those who are not shepherds, but are thieves and robbers and mere hired hands. Because their interest is not in you and your good and your benefit, but in what they can get out of you. Money, votes, likes, Commitment, increased audience size, which means increased advertising dollars for them. 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of concern about the health and wealth and prosperity preachers who were seeking to lead Christians astray and preying on them for their money. And that's still a concern. But the prosperity gospel, so to speak, that seems to have the greatest hold on Christians these days is the one preached by politicians who also prey on Christians. They know the buttons to push to get your attention and your money and your vote. They know what you're scared of. And they love to make you feel scared and to tell you that they can lead you into the green pastures. That they can deliver you from your deepest fears. But what follows in their wake? Abundant life or death and destruction? 
Now, I don't know all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I'm not telling you not to vote or participate in politics. I'm not saying that at all. But I am encouraging you to be wary. But most of all, I want to encourage you to have your greatest attention and your highest affection fixed on Jesus and on His kingdom. Look what he says next, verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, think about what that means. Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people. And he says to them, I have sheep that are not of this flock, meaning they're not Jews. They're Gentiles, they're Romans, they're Greeks, they're Samaritans. They're people, in other words, you don't like and you don't get along with. But I came for them too, and they're my sheep too. And not only are they going to listen to my voice, but I'm going to bring them together with you to make one flock. And I'm going to be the one shepherd of this one flock. Now that is not what many of the Jews were looking for or hoping for. Many of them, we know, were looking for a Messiah who would come and fight against the Romans to deliver them from their political enemies and occupiers. Jesus says to them instead, I'm going to bring some of those Romans into the fold with you. Because some of those Romans are going to listen to my voice too. And they're going to be in the same flock with you. Which means you're going to have to learn to get along with them. See, the world wants you to think that what is most important about you is whether you are a Jew or a Roman, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Native American. But Jesus came to save both Jews and Romans, people who vote Republican and Democrat, people who are black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, and of every tribe and tongue. What is most important about us is not any of those things. But whether or not we belong to Jesus, whether or not we listen to His voice, and if we do, then we are part of His fold. And so are all those other people who are not like us in lots of different ways. Not like me, not like you. But they belong to Jesus. And they listen to Jesus. And that makes them family. That makes them brothers and sisters. That makes us family. right? Because even in this room, there's a lot of things that are different about all of us. right? A lot of, a lot of ways we could choose to be divided if we focused on the wrong things. But in this room, we are united because the most important thing about us is that we desire to listen to Jesus. And that's what brings us together. He is what brings us together. Paul is simply expanding on what Jesus said here when he says in Galatians 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean you stop being male or female or Jew or Greek or whatever else. But it does mean mean that that is no longer the thing that primarily defines and identifies you. What our primary identity is now is that we belong to Christ. Have you been baptized in anybody else's name? Have you called on anybody else's name to be saved? Of course not. Nobody else is more important because nobody else can do those things for you. Nobody else can save you. Nobody else can give you new life. Only Jesus can do that. And here's how he does it. Verse 17 and 18. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus came to do for us and give to us what none of those differences can earn us or provide for us. He has an authority that no political leader, no nationality, no other interest group, no other person in history has ever possessed. He had the authority not only to choose the time and manner of his death. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. We've seen already in the Gospel of John. Someone trying to stone him, trying to bring it into his life. What happens? He just slips away. Why? Because his hour has not yet come, John said. Jesus chooses the hour of his death. And not only that, but he also says he has the authority to take his life back up again. To rise from the dead. Nobody else has that kind of authority. And after his resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples and tells them, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. What would you do with that kind of authority? Here's what Jesus does. He says, since I have all authority in heaven and on earth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. With my authority, Jesus says, I send you to make more people into followers of me. Because that's the most important thing in the world. Not the thousand other things that people try to convince us are the most important things in the world. The most important thing in the world is that people know and love and trust and follow Jesus. The good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and took it up again so that he can be our shepherd forever. Both because he lives forever and because of his resurrection, we will live forever with him. 
Finally, John tells us how people respond to this in verses 19 to 21. He says in verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. People are constantly, in the Gospel of John, divided over Jesus and divided over what he says. Some of, many of them, he says in verse 20, said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? They hear this talk about him being a shepherd and laying down his life and one flock and one shepherd and all this, and they think he's just lost his mind. But others, in verse 21, said... These are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. And oh, by the way, remember what he did just in chapter 9? When he healed that man who was born blind? Right? They say, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This man's not possessed by a demon. Why does John keep telling us about this division, this dividing line around Jesus? I think at least part of why he keeps telling us this is because he wants us to consider which side of the divide we are on. Do we side with those who recognize not merely something sensible in what Jesus says, but recognize that he's speaking the truth? Or do we hear the kinds of things that Jesus says and think to ourselves, you'd have to be out of your mind to believe that try to live that way or view the world that way that's just not how it works this guy's nuts which side of the divide are we on do we trust him or do we scoff at what he says now all i'm really saying here in this sermon is this that there is no better shepherd than the lord but there are plenty of others who would like to pretend to be your shepherd long enough to fleece you. And there are others who will be your shepherd for a time, for a fee. But there's only one shepherd who knows you by name, who loves you, who has laid down his life for you, then walked out of the tomb on the third day for you, so that you can have abundant life. I don't know about you, but I know who I'm listening to. Let's pray.